Thank you, Joanne. I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 21. If you uh, don't have a Bible with you, there should be a pew Bible in front of you, Matthew chapter 21. We're going to be reading uh, in just a moment, verses 28 through 32, Matthew chapter 21. If you're visiting, we are going through the Gospel of Matthew. We've been in it for quite some time, and we come tonight to uh, something that Jesus did quite often, and that is that he often taught in parables. And tonight we see another one of his parables, and this is a parable about uh, two different responses that people have to Jesus. Matthew chapter 21, beginning at verse 28. Jesus now says, what do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. As I um, said at the beginning of the service, it's always a blessing to have night sounds with us. Um, As they have stood up here tonight, and as they will do in a few moments, and they have sung praises to God. They were a, Night Sounds is a wonderful living illustration of God's covenant of grace. You know that God says in his covenant of grace, I will be your God and your children's God. And that's been a, a testimony tonight to us. Now I know that that not every student who goes to Ripon Christian or every student who goes to a Christian school come from Christian families. But I would guess that a large majority of students who go to Christian schools come from families with at least one believing parent. And and children and night sounds and young people, I hope that, that all of you realize what a tremendous blessing it is to grow up in a Christian home. I hope you realize, children and young people, what a tremendous blessing it is to, to be able to go to a Christian school. But but with that blessing. The blessing of being raised in a Christian home, the the blessing of your parents taking you to church on Sunday, uh, the blessing of receiving a Christian education, with that blessing comes a responsibility. And that is the responsibility that, that all of us have to believe in Jesus Christ and to seek to live our lives for for him. Now you might think, well, I was born in a Christian home. I was baptized, I go to church, I attend a Christian school, that's good enough. Well, as wonderful as those blessings are, and they all are blessings, none of them will get you to heaven. Neither your Christian parents, nor your Christian church, nor your Christian school will take you to heaven. Only Jesus Christ will take you to heaven. The parable that is before us tonight is uh, unique to Matthew. Matthew is the only gospel writer who records this parable for us. 
But it's a very important parable. It's a very important passage. And it's designed really to do two things. And, and that is my prayer for each and every one of us tonight, that God will so work in your heart in one of two different ways. First of all, this parable should bring comfort to those of you who may be thinking to yourself, my sin is too great and too dark for God to ever save me. I think that many of us at some point in our lives struggle with that kind of thinking. We all know our own sin. We all know our own hearts. And so there is that tendency to think, well, I know God saves people, but I think I'm too big of a sinner for God to save. I pray tonight that this parable, if that's you, that this parable would comfort you and would remind you that that Jesus is a great Savior who saves big sinners. Secondly, though, this parable should be a warning to anyone who thinks, I'm a child of the covenant. I'm safe. I can pretty much do what I want. This is the danger of what we call spiritual presumption. Presuming that because your parents are Christians, or because you go to church, or because you go to a Christian school, presuming that everything is okay, and that you are safe. If that's you, I pray tonight that this parable of Jesus would convict you. And would cause you to cry out for grace and mercy and to know that Jesus is a great Savior for those who cry out to him. And so we want to look at this passage tonight in three parts. This parable in three parts. First of all, there is the parable itself. And then there is the question. And then there is the explanation. The parable, the question, and the explanation. This is a very simple story. The story is there's a man who has two sons. And this man owns a vineyard. And and one day he goes to one of his sons and he says to his son, Son, I want you to go out today and I want you to work in the vineyard. Now the Jewish people, they had a very high view of parental authority. The Jewish people knew what what the fifth commandment says, Honor your father and your mother. And the Jewish people also knew what the Bible had to say about those who don't honor their father and their mother. For example, Leviticus 20, verse 9, anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. That was part of God's Mosaic law. Proverbs 30, verse 17, the eye that mocks a father and scorns a mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out and the young eagles will eat it. Pretty graphic. And so in this parable, the the father goes to his son and he says, son, I want you to go work in the field today. And, And the average Jewish person would have known exactly what that son should do. That son should obey, no questions asked. The father wasn't asking his son's opinion. The father wasn't saying to his son, hey, would you like to earn a little extra spending money today and work in the field? He wasn't saying to his son, you know, I'm not sure what you have going on today, but if you have a little bit of time later on, could you please go out and work in the field? No, this is a go do this command. Now, this wasn't an unreasonable request. It wasn't like the father was 
was saying to his son, go work in the neighbor's vineyard. Uh, This was the family vineyard. This was the family business. And it would benefit this son to do this. It would be in his own long-term interest to go out and to, to better the family business. Son, go work in the vineyard. It's a very, very reasonable request. And, and one which any upstanding young Jewish man would quickly obey. But you notice what the son says. The son says, nope, not going to do that. Now later he changes his mind. Later he does go out and work in the field. But initially he says, no. No, dad, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. Well, he goes to the second son. Same thing, son, go work in the vineyard today. And once again, the expected response, the proper response of a young Jewish man would be to say, yes, father, I will do as you say. I will do what you tell me to do. And that's what this son does. He says, okay, I'll do it. He even says, notice, he even says, sir. This is an obedient, respectful young man. First time obedience. Good job, son number two. Show respect for your father and do what your father says. But that's not the end of the story. Son number two doesn't do what he just said he would do. He doesn't go out and work in that field. Now, we don't know why in either case. Jesus Jesus doesn't tell us why son number one changed his mind, and he doesn't tell us why son number two changed his mind. All we know are the facts. First son says no, and then he goes. Second son says yes, he doesn't go. That's the parable. Very straightforward, very simple. Now there's a question. Jesus asks a question in verse 31. Which of the two did the will of his father? Now it's very important that we understand the purpose of parables. The purpose of parables is to make us think. Jesus is talking here to the religious leaders of Israel. Jesus is talking to the highest religious authorities among God's people. And the purpose of him giving this parable is to make these men think. The same is true for us tonight. Jesus wants us to take this passage and to apply it to our lives. He wants to make us think. The purpose of parables is is not just to give us some easy-to-understand, memorable story. The purpose of parables is not for us to say, boy, that Jesus, he could really tell a story. The purpose of parables is to cause us to examine our own hearts and our own lives. Well, let me give you one example of this from the Old Testament. You might remember that in the book of 2 Samuel, the prophet Nathan goes to King David, and and he tells David a parable. Now, Now, David, you remember, had stolen another man's wife. He had taken Bathsheba, who was not his wife. He had stolen Bathsheba to be his own wife when she was married to someone else. And so Nathan the prophet comes to David with a parable, and and you might remember the parable. There are two men. One is rich and one is poor. The rich man has has a massive amount of flocks and herds, and the poor man has one 
little lamb. And, and one day, the rich man has, a, has an out-of-town guest come to his home. And, and he realizes he has, to, he has to feed this out-of-town guest a meal. And he doesn't want to take the meal from his own flocks and herds, and so he goes down the road and he steals the one lamb from the poor man. And David hears this story and he's, he's furious, he's irate. David hears this story about about a rich man with all these flocks and herds taking a poor man's one little lamb and he says, anyone who would do that deserves to die. And you might remember what Nathan says to David. He looks at David and he says, David, you are that rich man. You stole what didn't belong to you. And you see the intention was to get David to think about his own life. That is the purpose of the Word of God. We, we are not here for some mere academic exercise. We are not here so that you can and I can better ourselves at some Bible trivia. We are here so that God's Word would examine our own hearts and our own lives. This, this isn't a time where we should be going, you know, I hope, I hope so-and-so is listening to this, or so-and-so should be here for this. No, this is a time for each one of us where God's word should be examining us. And so as Jesus tells this parable to these men, men who thought that they were, were so knowledgeable, men who viewed themselves as having great authority, men who thought that they themselves were pretty righteous people, men who plotted against Jesus and wanted to kill Jesus at almost every turn, Jesus wants these men to see themselves in this parable. He wants them to see that they are the second son that these were men who pledged obedience with their lips, who claimed to be so righteous and followers of the one true God, but in reality they did not follow him. Their hearts were far from him. So God intends his parables and he intends all of his word to search our hearts. And so the the question is, who obeyed their father? Son number one or son number two? Was it the first son who said, no, I'm not going, Dad? And then he went? Or was it the second son who said, yeah, I'll go, sir, but then didn't go? Well, the the chief priests and elders, they, they know the right answer. They said the first son. That the first son did the will of his father, and that's because ultimately he did go and work in the vineyard. And now Jesus is going to explain this parable, and he's going to bring this parable to bear on the hearts of these men. First thing he says, middle of verse 31, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. <laughs> Imagine how this must have hit these men. No wonder why they hated Jesus. The self-righteous always hated Jesus. He didn't applaud their self-righteousness. He didn't didn't go along with their legalism. 
I mean, for these men who, who thought that they had everything together, to hear tax collectors and prostitutes will get into God's kingdom before you will, that would have stunned these men. Children, you know, right, who the tax collectors were? Tax collectors were, were basically professional thieves. They, they were sellouts to Rome. They, they, they stole from the Jewish people. They didn't just collect taxes. They, they skimmed some off the top for themselves. Almost no one was seen to be as low as or as bad as or as wicked as a tax collector. Tax collectors in first century Israel were universally despised and hated. They were reviled. And then you've got what is known as the world's oldest profession, prostitution. Obviously, prostitutes didn't have the most sterling reputation in the world. Imagine how these self-righteous legalists would be so offended when Jesus said the tax collectors and the prostitutes will get into heaven before you will. And then he adds insult to injury in verse 32. He says, for John, John the Baptist, came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed, believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. You know, when John the Baptist came, he had a very specific message, didn't he? John the Baptist didn't come and, and look at all the Jewish people and say, you know, you guys are pretty good. You're all doing quite well. Continue on and you'll be just fine. John the Baptist's message was repent. Repent. Children, do you know what it means to repent? To, to repent means to to change your mind, to change direction. It's to, to make a 180-degree turn. And, and when John the Baptist came into this world and he was calling people to repentance, what he was saying was, you are trusting in your own righteousness. You are trusting in your own good works. You are trusting in your covenant membership. And none of those things will make you right with God. You need to turn from thinking that your good works will save you and make you right with God. You must do a 180 degree turn and cry out to God for mercy and for grace. The message hasn't changed in 2,000 years. The message is still the same. You need to give up on yourself. I need to give up on myself. I need to turn from any thinking that, that my performance can make me right with God. I need to turn away from my vain attempts at, at, at thinking I can get to heaven on the basis of my own obedience. And I need to ask God to save me and to cleanse me from my sin. In the words of the hymn, nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling. I don't bring my good works to God and say, look. Look, God, at all that I've done for you. Look at my record. Look at my resume. Look at my performance. 
I come empty-handed. And I say, God, I have nothing to offer you. Save me. John the Baptist came proclaiming that message. He came telling people, give up on yourself, give up on your performance, give up on your own righteousness, and cry out to God. And the religious leaders didn't listen. There's people today who still don't listen. They still think that somehow they can do it on their own. And the religious leaders of Jesus' day didn't believe what John was preaching. They didn't believe that they needed God's grace and mercy. They thought that they were doing just fine on their own. And I will tell you, that is an incredibly dangerous place to be. I warn you all tonight of the danger of thinking that you're just fine on your own. And that you don't need the grace of God. The tax collectors and the prostitutes, the lowest of the low in the eyes of society, they believed John. They they recognized their hopelessness. They, They confessed their sin. They turned to God to wash their sins away. And even when the religious leaders saw this, even when they saw tax collectors and prostitutes and, and thieves and drunkards coming to Christ and confessing their sin and crying out for mercy, they themselves still would not repent and believe. They continued in their hardness of heart. They continued in their own self-righteousness. They didn't understand their desperate need for grace. Now let's apply this to this parable. Who was the first son? The first son symbolizes the tax collectors and the prostitutes. The greedy, the immoral. They had lived most of their lives saying no to God. I don't want you. I don't need you. I'm going to live my own life. But when they heard the preaching of John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit so worked upon their hearts that they saw their sin, they saw their dreadful condition before God, and they came to him for grace. The second son, of course, symbolizes the leaders of Israel. They were proud. They were self-righteous. They thought that they were safe because they were part of the covenant community. I told you at the beginning of the sermon that this parable has two purposes. First of all, this parable provides comfort to us. For all in this room who recognize their sin, For all who realize that left to themselves, judgment awaits. For all who trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, there is great comfort here tonight. This parable is a reminder that your sins and my sins are not too great. Jesus tells us here that the tax collectors and prostitutes who who repent of their sins, who, who give up on any attempt to earn God's favor, are welcomed into God's kingdom. So brothers and sisters, you you should be encouraged in this tonight. 
You should be comforted because even though you know your sin, even though you may be like the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, and if we're Christians, we're all like Paul in Romans 7. Lord, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. Even though you know your sin and you see your sin and you recognize your weakness and your failure, you also understand that anyone who comes to Christ, he will not turn you away. He will not turn you away. And so believers, brothers and sisters, take great comfort in this parable tonight. Jesus is a great Savior who saves anyone who comes to him in faith. But there's a warning. You may be, I don't know, living an apathetic life. You may be indifferent to God. You may be disinterested in his grace. You may think my family background or my church membership or my attendance at a Christian school will save me. Be warned tonight of the lesson of these Jewish religious leaders. They too were brought up in covenant homes. They too heard God's word regularly. They too spent a lot of time where they heard the word of God taught. But they trusted in themselves. They trusted in their covenant status. They presumed because they were covenant people that they were just fine. And to them, Jesus says, you will not enter my kingdom. May God take his word tonight, this very short, simple parable, and apply it to our lives, either as comfort or as warning, to look to the Lord Jesus Christ and to trust in him alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the parables that the Lord Jesus taught We thank you for the comfort of your gospel as well as the warnings of your word. Lord, take your word tonight and apply it to each one of us that we may look to you, continue to look to you for grace and for mercy. We pray this 